0: Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Steve Smith, episode 120. Very fortunate. We're going to talk to Brian Clark, Cincinnati. Uh, grew up as an athlete, played multiple sports, played tennis, played in college. His dad uh, started a tennis club. I've been very fortunate to be there several times. We talk about the different type of camps that we run there, but with Brian, Many, many things to talk about. Club owner, uh, parent of a tennis player, two kids, his daughter plays. But let's get him on the phone. Great guy. We've got to get this thing rolling. And I'm sure there will be some nuggets that we always talk about. Golden tennis nuggets for people to add to their tennis treasure chest. Coach Steve. Brian Clark. Good American name. I've met a lot of Clarks. <laughs> the, uh, not as common as Smith, but Clark's a pretty common name, huh? You know, it is. It's kind of like Smith. Have you, uh, you're too young. Um, we're just talking about, before we went on air, I, we're talking about high school football in Ohio. With right. the Dave Clark Five. I think that
1: was the name of a band. With, the Dave uh, Clark Five.
0: You've never heard of it, right?
1: That that might be before my time. Yeah,
0: yeah, we'll have to have to look that up. Uh, I, I believe they came right after the Beatles. They weren't as big, obviously. With where do we start? Let's start with uh, Cincinnati. Yes, that's where your uh, that's where you're based in your tennis club. Born and
1: raised. i born and raised. I've got my notes. Moved, moved uh, away. Go ahead. Moved away for a short. Moved away for a short period of time, but came back. Couldn't couldn't stay away.
0: And where'd you move to?
1: Uh, just for a, a little, about a year out to uh, to Colorado, to Summit County, Rocky Mountain High. Yeah, out in the mountains.
0: Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati's like Buffalo. A lot of people move to those two cities, and you know through sports, and they just fall in love with the place.
1: It's a great. It's a great. Uh, it's a big small town, and it's a good mid- Midwestern town. And yeah, it's great raising a family here. Love it.
0: No, Midwest. Um, there was always a question years ago: why were so many great tennis players from the Midwest? And we talked about the appreciation of indoor court time, family values. Certainly, the the density of population. It's not. It's not like say the the inner mountain or Texas, where there is right. mi- miles and miles of nowhere, all the rural space, but. Um, you know, all of the cities, whether it's Milwaukee or, or Dayton, Toledo, there's so many small cities as well. I have down here Cincinnati is number 30 on the population list with, but also with um, tennis being successful, you know, good players always coming out of the Midwest. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. one note is that, you uh, you were producing better players when people just stayed at home, the advent of the the tennis Academy and and leaving the Midwest. If people do their homework, uh, it's pretty interesting, but I think also that, um, the, the, the kids throughout the Midwest really have an understanding of big 10 sports.
1: Yeah. Big 10 is big. That's for sure. I know
0: Jeremy Wurtzman mentioned that use on one of our podcasts and, you know, we're both from upstate New York and because of the population in New York, there's no uh, like you know you have Ohio State the Ohio State we don't have, you know that big time football program in New York State.
1: Yeah, and you know it's kind of fun. It's, it's seeing uh, University of Cincinnati uh, program really develop. If we're talking football, I mean it's. Uh, but um, yeah, you're we're we're you know we're knee deep and in, in Big Ten around here for sure. Well, and, and then you got then you have UK close by so. Really? Got some really good basketball. I mean, it's uh it's a it's a big sports, you know, we, we're we're very fortunate being a uh Cincinnati, at least being a, a small big town. We still have we're a major league town. I mean, gosh, we we're we were the first uh had the first major league baseball team. I don't know if a lot of your listeners know that, but Cincinnati had the very first uh professional baseball team and for years that's why the Reds used to have be be uh gifted by the by Major League Baseball as uh allowing us to to lead off uh when I was a kid we hit we were the first uh game to play opening day we got opening day before everyone else because of the history of Cincinnati so opening day in Cincinnati has been you know is is like a is a is a festival i mean it's it's fantastic so and then uh, and then the Bengals of course um but uh but yeah, it's been it's it's a great town.
0: And you have hockey but minor league hockey.
1: Yeah, minor that's right. That's right.
0: With uh
1: the Cyclone.
0: Right right now the you're the Bengals are the biggest show in
1: town? The Bengals are the biggest show in town. They are. I mean, you know, when you go to the Super Bowl, you know, everyone likes a winner so and uh and and this past season the Reds the Reds uh tied their their work i believe i don't, don't quote me on this but i believe they tied i thought i heard that they tied their their worst record uh in franchise history and i think they lost a 100 games so that was not a good year
0: <laughs> With, uh, the- so yeah
1: we've we've turned we've turned our attention to the to um to the Bengals, um and then we've got uh we've got a new a new show in town too which is uh been kind of fun is uh f uh football club cincinnati fc cincinnati um is in uh mls and they built a new stadium so we have an mls team and they got to the playoffs for the very first time so uh really neat stadium and great great environment and so that's that's been a nice thing too
0: and with that talk a little bit about the pro tournament Pro tennis tournament.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. The the you know the Cincinnati. That's uh, I heard this. I think we we are the the oldest. Um, we we host the oldest pro tournament that's being hosted still at its in its host city. So um, yeah, it's been a strong strong tennis town. It Used to be called the Cincinnati Open, and then it then it it changed names to the Tri State, and then became the Westerns. And then it became the ATP, Thriftway was a big sponsor, ATP, local grocery store. That's when it was just the men. And then they slowly added the ladies. Uh, uh, and, and I think at, at first it was a, um, the men was a, a pretty high level. Um, and, but then when they first had the ladies, it was done on two separate weeks. So the men would come in and then the ladies would follow. Could have been vice versa, but either way, it was in separate weeks, and it was a lower tier ladies' event. And then finally, the ATP and WTA got together, and they say, "Hey, let's make let's make this one, let's bring it together." And it became a tier one event for the ladies, and a Masters uh, one thousand for the men. And boy, it's been like that for a lot of years now. And um, but I hear it just got sold. The USTA sold it away. No way. some, uh, so a billionaire from uh, from uh, North Carolina, I believe, bought it.
0: So the tournament's going to move, or
1: I don't know. That's the big question. Everyone, you know, worried about it because you know it's been in Cincinnati. This has been, you know, it's it used to be owned by uh, 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 Cincinnati for charity or, or was it Cincinnati for charities or tennis for charities. Um, a nonprofit owned it, and then they sold it. I don't know how many years ago to the USDA bought it and then, um, and then they just recently sold it. I mean, they, they developed it a little bit, but um, uh, tenants for charities owns the property. And then the USDA owned the, 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 the uh, event. And then the USDA just sold it for, a, for, you know, I, I don't even know what the price tag was, but they, they made a pretty penny on it, unfortunately. And I hope, I hope this guy Whoever bought it uh, decides that you know the history of it being in Cincinnati. I really hope that um, that they keep it because being in the Midwest, I mean, gosh, it's it's been such a blessing here. I mean, uh, people don't, a lot of even Cincinnatians don't realize how, as far as an in international event, it is really the top international event that that the city holds, and um, and unless you are familiar with tennis, they, Cincinnati may not even know that. I mean, they may know it's in town, but, but to, to it's significance. I mean, when you see Cincinnati and, and, uh, sh- uh, and uh, Shanghai and, 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 uh, and, and Madrid and, and all these other cities, and you're like, and then you see Cincinnati on the list of the masters that you're like, how, right. how's how's Cincinnati there, but, um, but right. yeah, our fingers are crossed that our, our tournament's not going to go away. Well,
0: you experienced one year with not being there recently because of the pandemic. It was held in New York, right?
1: That's right. Yep, it was right before the open. That during the pandemic, they did the Cincinnati tournament there, off offsite. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was a shame. That that was just. So yeah, I don't know if that had something to, to you know, that led to this, uh, but, but boy, we're you know all of the local tennis folks here are, are really crossing our fingers that we don't lose it
0: i know you and i've been in close communication over the last several years and therefore you know that a group of us were in memphis working with a nonprofit. yeah and when we first arrived the tournament was being played and then the following year it was adios amigos uh the tournament moved to long island but i know the, uh-huh. the people in the area were just crushed that they lost the tournament i mean it's such a big deal yeah. to uh Right. You, know, you think of the young kids getting to watch the best men and women play. And what I've always been told, uh, you know, I had been at the Cincinnati tournament with you, but I was always told that your tournament is the best place to go to be a spectator.
1: It really is. It's so it's intimate. You're right next to the players, you know, that you, you uh, gosh, now you, you walk around the grounds and, and you hear so many different languages spoken and, and, um, but yet it's, you can really get close. Um, that's really, it's a, it's the reason why I've never gone to the open. I've never gone to New York because I've, we've been so spoiled. I mean, gosh, it's right before New York, I had, you know, a, a, 10 days of incredible pro tennis and all the best players are here. And it's like, well, it's in my backyard. And so, um, but geez, I, I, like I said, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope we don't lose it because I grew up with it.
0: Well, user-friendly, the, the cost, it's so expensive to go to New York to uh, watch yeah. the Open. Not only the tickets, yeah. but just staying in the city.
1: Right. That's what I've heard. Uh, so, yeah, we're spoiled. And, uh, and again, it's uh, it would be a heck of a shame if we lost it.
0: With all the different athletes, um, we have to talk about, uh, not right now, I think we t- you could tell us about your father and the tennis club and then We have to touch upon Pete Rose, and I do think the young listeners who may not have heard of Pete Rose, they need to get on YouTube and watch him slide into home plate. Oh yeah, he was known as Charlie Hustle, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, Charlie Hustle. But I mean, they have a and they have a they have a a statue out front of uh, of the ballpark, Great American Ballpark, with him sliding head first. It's fantastic. I know when you were in town, when you guys were in town for the immersion camp, when you came, we went to remember we went to. A Reds game. And, yeah, it, was, uh, it was great
0: fun. It was uh yeah. yeah. We brought a group of coaches and they had a contest on who could eat the most hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I mean, I never, I mean, I played baseball. I mean, I remember uh, asking my mother if I could just play street hockey instead of playing baseball. And she said it was un American not to play baseball. So I, I played baseball. Yeah. But you know, I never really fell in love with it. But it, I think it's great to go to a pro baseball game.
1: Yeah, oh, it is. You know, it's
0: and, yeah. That was, that, yeah. was, that was a special day to see the But the other couple of times we were there they weren't it worked out they weren't in town when we were there but that one year we got to go right with uh that's right yeah but tell us it was uh i mean James van Allen invented the tiebreaker it was on the scene i think nineteen seventy first year and then your dad and his business partner
1: yeah right after my, that. you know my well, my my dad uh, my dad was a uh, a heck of a athlete and uh so I grew up uh, in an athletic, uh, family, at least my dad. And, um, and so he was a, a tennis junkie. He fell in love with tennis. And then the, in the tennis boom, when the tennis boom hit, he had a, a good friend, um, who was a builder and they decided, um, to build a indoor tennis club. And they were the second local indoor tennis club. I think they opened a week, before one of the other clubs so they were the uh, second uh, built in cincinnati in 1971 and so um so i was just a little shaver then and um and they grew up there you know so they started with four courts two years and then everything went really well and they two years later they built added two more courts and then two years after that they added two more so we have eight indoor courts and um still remain tennis only family owned and operated now um uh, about gosh 20 23 24 years ago uh, my dad's partners uh wanted to get out so my dad bought it out you know bought them out and and then at that point my brother and I uh uh were you know out of college and I was teaching tennis already there and um so we took it over and I've been running it for, gosh, you know, 20 years now. So, I mean, your brother, um,
0: your brother Steve does the books basically he's, uh, yeah.
1: Yes. yes. Where it's ahead. a great partnership where he's strong, I'm weak and where he's weak, I'm strong. So I'm, I'm the tennis side and, uh, and he's always been the book side and the, and that, that, that part. And, uh, and now his son, uh, his oldest son, Brandon Clark, um, uh, who graduated from Xavier played, uh, walked on at Xavier university. So he played tennis and, and, um, and, uh, he graduated with a, with that, uh, sports management, uh, degree. And so he, he came started working at the club, started teaching tennis more full time and then helping us manage things. And then he's worked his way, uh, into a, uh, he's our general manager now and really the face of the club, which is fantastic. With, so he's uh, just done a heck of a job. I mean, gosh, that's so, great. yeah, it's, it, it's a real family family. You're,
0: you're, it's, yeah. You guys, the place is immaculate. I mean, you guys do such a great job with maintaining that facility, but Xavier plays their home matches there, correct?
1: Yes, we are. Uh, and they, and they were when I, I played Xavier. Um, they, so we practice there um, and we play, uh, we, they play, the men and the women's team uh, practice and play a lot of their matches there because obviously, you know, they're, when they're playing up here, I mean, the weather's uh, so iffy, they'll play a few, you know, a handful of matches outside on their they have courts on campus, but nothing indoors. So we're, we their indoor practice and match facility. Yep.
0: I think a side note, uh, are we, the, the times we ran camps at your place, we took the group, uh, to walk the Xavier campus. I think that the more campuses young people can see, I think that too many times, uh, and obviously we deal with tennis players, is they, they, they're they not seeing campuses until their junior year in high school. But I think the, the sooner they can see college campuses, the better.
1: Yeah. And we're fortunate because the C- University of Cincinnati is, is what, like three 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 and a half, four, four miles away from Xavier. I mean, um, so you really have a... a uh, an incredible um, uh, rivalry when it comes to to basketball, uh, but all other sports as well that that they compete against, and uh, so we've got two top universities right in town. Well, with
0: um, the Reds, it's Three river Stadium, one. right? There's three rivers in Cincinnati. Uh, what what's, no, is that right? Well, what, is it three, no, that, three river Stadium? Or I got that wrong. No,
1: you're talking about that's Pittsburgh. That's oh, up. Boy. That's up. That, that's further up on the Ohio. We're we're on the Ohio River. So we have Kentucky right across the border. Okay, so from us,
0: I thought there was more than, yeah. more than one river through Cincinnati.
1: Well, we've got a few rivers, but we're not. When you talk about three rivers, you're talking about uh, you're talking about Pittsburgh. Okay,
0: with uh, yeah. right across. How far away is like say uh, Louisville or the University of Kentucky at Lexington? It's really close to.
1: Uh, Le- uh, Lexington is uh, is about an hour away. Um, depending on traffic and then uh, Lowellville, University of Louisville is um, is a, a, like almost an hour and a half drive so yeah that's close too
0: with um, the three big players out of uh, Cincinnati uh, Tony Trabert played both basketball and he was number one in the world at one time I've got some things written down about his background he, he played basketball <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. At the University of Cincinnati in tennis, I think Marty Reason. Oh, okay. Marty Reason was a player who did that as well. Uh,
1: I didn't know he was a basketball player as well. I don't doubt it though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, what an I, athlete! Yeah, I think basketball. We talk about it quite often in the podcast. I mean, that's a sport. It's not that expensive, and it's still a pickup sport. And I think pickup sports have really gone away. I mean, like soccer in America yeah. is not really a pickup sport, but you go to the park and you play basketball and. I do think tennis players should try to master two sports. Well, tell us a little about the evolution of the club, as far as over the over the. Well, decade. yeah.
1: Um, I mean, really, what uh, our our uh, the, the our mainstay is our adult our you know our adult program um, and our teams. And my dad was instru- instrumental in uh, in organizing this, is what really kind of makes Cincinnati uh, unique. And I, we hear this from. Sales reps and 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 they go to call on different clubs and different towns and things. But Cincinnati, back in the day, as they started building these you know indoor clubs during the tennis boom and all of that, the owners were smart enough to get organized and and decide, hey, let's let's develop, let's partner up, and let's develop uh, an adult league. And your team, you know, home and away and, and get organized. So they did. And it's the GCITA, Greater Cincinnati Indoor Tennis Association. And so they started that league. It's, it's, gosh, it's over 45 years old now. And, um, and what's unique about it is that, you know, there's, uh, gosh, there's, uh, 11 clubs in this league now. And we meet once a month, all the managers, you know, go to a central club we meet once a month we um and and we and we work together even though we're competing we have great relationships with each other um we we do some group buying with uh with like uh, coke products or balls tennis balls we, we we do that and we you know we help each other out you know who who's your roofer who's your who do you use for your lighting and we you know we we uh we share information and we um on, on, on those kind of things, projects and whatnot. And, and, um, and we get along um, and you hear a lot of towns, you know, neighboring clubs, they won't even talk to each other. So, um, so that, that I think really developed uh, the strength of, of, local Cincinnati tennis is that adult league. And it still is the, the, the prominent league in Cincinnati. And we do have some USTA play, but we, it's never really gotten a footing here in Cincinnati because of the, the strength of this, uh, this indoor league. Um, so like for, for our club, I know we've got 44 adult teams. Wow. Um, and that's, that's uh, daytime, um, weekend men, women, singles, doubles, mixed doubles. And, um, and so it's strong. Um, and then after that, I mean, it, you know, I think that the tournament, just having the tournament here um, has really been a big part of the strength of, of local tennis, um, the history of, of Cincinnati tennis, like you said, uh, 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 Tony Trabert and um, uh, Bill, uh, Bill Tilden. Um uh, Bill, Talbert.
0: Bill Talbert, right?
1: Bill, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, B- Bill Talbert, yeah. Uh, Tony Trabert, Bill Talbert, um, and, and gosh, we hosted uh, the Virginia Slims uh tournaments we've had uh in Cincinnati we've had the uh, the I know the 1977 US uh, Davis Cup uh, uh championship was played here in Cincinnati and and that was a fun story because I was a I was just a young guy I, 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 and and uh l- fall in love with tennis and here comes the US team with with uh uh with Roscoe Tanner, Peter Fleming, Johnny Mack and uh and led by arthur ash they're they're practicing at my home club you know and and then and then and then right after they get done then argentina comes in they've got Jerry or uh or um oh gosh uh G- Guillermo vilas yeah. and jose luis cleric uh those that was basically their whole team and um and so they come rolling in and they're practicing so i'm You know, as a young kid who's starting to play some tennis and it was just, uh, it was magical. So, um, so it's just that kind of thing. I mean, it's just, it's, um, has led to, I think, the strength of, of local tennis and, and the community here.
0: Let me back up and ask about leagues. Um, NTRP, have they always been NTRP? Are they not in NTRP as far as the Yeah, they
1: are. They are. Yeah, we use the NTRP. But it is a little, because of the, the history, because uh, I do all the ratings at the club. Uh, so anyone new wants to join in a league or something or, you know, I get I with them for half an hour and all that. So I've been doing that for 15 years or whatever it's been. And uh, and so I, I always tell folks, hey, now I'm going to give you a local rating. It is NTRP, But if you go to Florida, if you go somewhere else, you know, you're probably not going to be that number you know so cincinnati is it's, it's funny the gcita uh, folks want to play up but then you then they get into usta and of course they want to sandbag and play as low as they can so they can move on and try to play in a play for a national and all that stuff so it's it's interesting how um, you know people and I'm the inner club I, one of my jobs at the club is I I help manage the 44 teams, so I work with the captains I help Put the, the rosters together every year and, and work through that process and um, and so it's 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 uh, those ratings with
0: um, uh, the ratings uh, for our listeners it's one through seven you know seven mm-hmm. working backwards you have to be able to you know pay all your bills you got to be a full time professional player uh, then you go to six point five you know, you're making some money playing pro tennis I mean but Anyway, here's a story for you. I was working in Stovermont for All American Sports, and I was asked to cover for one of the pro shop attendants. So I'm behind the desk, and under under the desk there's a, there's a glass casing, and you can see, you know, the the ratings. And you know each each level had a little paragraph. And so Jimmy Connors comes in, and I just pretended I didn't didn't know who he was at the time. He's number one player in the world. And I said, "Excuse me, sir, if you could just read that sheet and tell me what your level is." <laughs> I could try to find a game for you. <laughs>
1: but, uh, the, the NTR- I've never heard that story, and I've heard a lot of your stories. I've never heard that one. That is great.
0: Yeah, someone said the other day because we got to start redoing them. I said we made like twenty-seven. Uh, use my name in third person, Steve story. Someone said, "Did you run out of stories?" I said, "No, no, I got."
1: I know I uh-huh. miss I miss those Steve stories. I, I, got, those
0: a- are- I got a few more. We got. We're, as you know, we're gonna. Like everybody else, keep trying to improve. So we have to circle back and do that. With, but yeah. why? Why do you think the NTRP never worked for juniors?
1: Gosh, uh, that's a that's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer on that one. I mean, uh, just locally that? seeing. I mean, the the evolution of. Gosh, we used to hold these local uh, tournaments and i used to run them it was through our, our our league and they were called grand prix and and you would have a ton of kids playing and there were some good players playing in these grand prix sorry if that's my phone um, and and so um, but gosh over time with with USTA and kids kids chasing points I mean, eventually those, those Grand Prix's went, went, you know, no one, we lost them. So, um, and it's kind of a shame, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I have the answer to that one.
0: You know, for the longest time I was not around indoor tennis. And then if I was around indoor tennis, it was just where I was traveling and doing, you know, camps and clinics, workshop for coaches. But then to finally you know, work for a company, okay, indoor courts, you start to realize 7,200 square feet of heated and lighted, lighted space. I think the NTRP was, obviously it's turned into a great business model for, for league tennis. But I do think that, you know, with everything, there's a positive and negative that um, the age group tournaments lost their popularity, uh, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as, a, as the NTRP. I mean, it been, it's been so successful. I mean, just the social component social side of it but uh, yeah the uh, I do think that many tennis teaching pros years ago you had it, it's interesting that you get on the court and hit with people and they come in they're new to your club and you rate them it used to be you had to be verified and when I was training tennis teachers Correct. in an academic setting we had nine certifications Correct. you know just feathers in your cap to help people get jobs and one of them was becoming NTRP verifier and but for the for the long time, you just you just really self rate. But when when the pros were doing it, I think what happened was that many of the pros, you know, they were, they just couldn't tell someone that they were a a three zero. They would tell them they were a three five.
1: Right. And that massage their ego a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: George Bush number two actually was booted out of a league for sandbagging. Where he, um, you know, he wanted to win. Politicians want to win. He. He wanted to win so instead of most people their ego they would want to say that they were say a four everyone's saying yeah, okay, i'm a four or five when they're really a four zero. Oh. but mm-hmm. i understand that i think that the rating that he was a four zero, oh, and he told people it was a 3-5 and, and he got booted
1: um we start our adult leagues we um we use uh tennis scores and they're out of the carolinas and and to to manage our our leagues and so they do our they do our um our schedules and they do our website and um, so they host all that stuff. And so they have a algorithm built into their, to their uh, their league management website. And we, a number of years ago we started leaning towards using that more as a guide for the clubs and, and things like that. And we wouldn't show it to the players. Well, it evolved where we started you know, people. Then people knew that we were looking. We were talking. You know, when you're placing players on teams and you talk about ratings, and, and and so then we would start. We kind of let the cat out of the bag that we were starting to use these these uh, these rating numbers, these this algorithm to, to place players on teams. Now we've come full circle where where we're we're using them exclusively, and each level. Um, has a range, a numeric uh, baseline or benchmark for that level. And, and there's some cushion in there, you know, we leave a whole, you know, point, you know, so there's, there's a spread, uh, and there's plenty of room to negotiate to to let clubs still be able to field teams. I mean, that's part of it. You know, you, you have to have a little bit of cushion so you can have enough people to have a team. But, um, so, but we've really come and and use those ratings as far as uh moving, you know, having people play uh too low. So, um we haven't gotten strict to the point where you can't play up or you you can sub up or you can't, you know, players that want to keep trying to play up. So, um but we're really using them and and I think it has it's not a perfect uh, system but I think it's really helped, uh, bring some parody to the league and, um, and, and, and really better matches. That's, that's, that's why we're using it. So it's interesting how we're using this algorithm stuff now used to do it. Mom and pop, you know, where we would go and, 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 you know, have the, the schedules done by, by a local gal who would just do it in her basement. And, you know, we'd go over to her house and home and away, home and away matches and, and then and we'd leave it up to each club, you know, to kind of place players where they think they should. And, and, uh, and, but, but now we're really using this algorithm. So
0: I remember my travel. I think the gentleman's last name was Jones it Was so many years ago. It was in the eighties, but he was trying to have it be nationwide where you would enter your scores. And like you're talking about, uh, and then it would be, you know, 3.52 or 3.55, um, Mm-hmm. I, I just I just remember that. Um, with uh, here's something for our listeners: we've had some adults where they stopped taking lessons from us and told us that they were getting they were improving too much. They were improving too fast. It's a pretty <laughs> pretty interesting scenario. Right? I've never heard of that. <laughs> well, you know, some people have the, the the wherewithal where they can come and train like a junior. You know, say, okay, uh-huh. we'll, we'll see you after school every day for for you know two and a half hours. All right. Uh, actually this is way back. Uh, Craig Tiley's name comes up quite often. He was, um, working on his master's at the nearby university. There was Tyler junior college and there was the university of Texas at Tyler. And right. with, with his group of men, you know, we were doing body fat. That's another story, but let me just, come back to the, the men with we going to nationals and some of them getting booted, but because they were told that they weren't a four or five, but because we really got into fitness with these guys.
1: Yeah, that that smells that that smells like USTA all the way. So,
0: so <laughs> that's, anyway, that's what
1: they do. They want a sandbag, right? The USTA, they try to play as low as they can and get away with it, and, and sandbag matches or whatever. That's what you hear in you know, those horror stories. That players, but, you know.
0: But if you can get some adults, to okay, they can, you know, they're going to really work on their game and be filmed and you know right. do static balance and just go out and do the reps and uh, do the same thing that we recommend for many juniors is you, you take a couple steps back from competition. You just regroup, rewire, but we, yeah. we've had, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, half a half dozen people over decades where, you know, they've found out that, well, if I'm not going to, if I'm not in the three, five, four or range, because when you go up to a four five, there's not that many people to play with. Correct.
1: Yeah. It really starts to get limited. Now, now we've got you know again it, it goes back to our it, you know inflated. We've got several five zero, you know, ladies teams. I hope I don't want to offend any any of them who might be listening to this, but you know we've got a lot of five, and they would probably admit it too. But it, it, you know, uh, you talk about a five zero player around the country, and you say five zero. Well, typically a five zero player has played some college tennis. You know that's that's a, that's a really that's a high level. Well, we you know even though we have several five zero ladies teams and you know we we really don't have any five zero players. <laughs> I mean, true, you know, who played high level college tennis or you know, because if you look at five zero players that play, you know, if there's a for USTA, I mean, they've all played college tennis at a high level, probably. Well, group... and uh, and can still run and can still move.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. The the movement, the mobility. Um, with the group I was referring to that we, you know, started doing body fat and, and, you know, just train like a junior, bring your running shoes, bring your skip rope that, mm-hmm. um, in senior tennis, you know, some people certainly age at a slower rate. And when you, you go to say, watch the seventies, you know, any age group sixties, seventies that the people that are really moving well, um, have, have, have a leg up.
1: With, um, yeah, there's no question. I, I know that. I, I'm, I just got, just got. I, I know. I told you. I, I just had my left knee re- total knee replacement, and I'm just getting back where I'm hitting a few balls. And I was playing last night, playing in with some a couple buddies of mine, and who we have kind of a regular, regular game. And uh, and boy, I just am. Uh, I'm not moving well. <laughs> so
0: artificial I, knee, right?
1: What's that? Yeah, artificial, yeah, total knee replacement, yeah. So, which is fine. I mean, you know, heck, I you know, this is, it's just, that's the nature of it. And I just have to take my time. But, so I, you know, it's humbling to be able to, you know, I, I before surgery, I was playing at a, 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 a much better level than I am now. So, I guess that's part of, part of that.
0: Just but. have to yell yours more. You're, and you're playing doubles only, right?
1: Doubles only, yeah, right now, yeah.
0: What do you think with the NTRP crossing over the UTR? Um, You know, so obviously a city like Cincinnati, there's not that many five O's, but say the person who's going to work every day and they played college tennis and they're a solid, they are legitimately a solid five O. It'd be interesting what level UTR because I don't think that um, most, you can tell us about your club but most places, I mean, I always saying that the youth versus veteran match you know the junior, right. and the senior; those matches. Don't I love play. that idea. Yeah, they don't take place right. like they used to. So, I, what do you think a five-zero, solid five-zero would be? Would that be someone who's a, like, say, a ten-five on the UTR?
1: I, I would. I, that's when you had said that. I was thinking at least in the tens. Um, yeah, the ten. I, I would be. That would kind of where I would guess. Um, if they if they still move well, they're young. You know, young college player. I would, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, on the female side, maybe you're looking at, you know, nines uh, or even eights, eights, nines.
0: So you, you have your citywide league. Do you have a flex league? I mean, in other words, where, I mean, it's like having a club ladder and are you. You
1: know, we, we and and, and I, um we've tried all different products, all different leagues, ideas and stuff. And we tried to do a, a flex league. um, And that was one of the true tennis scores um, that they could offer with their website and, and we tried it and it just didn't, um, it, you know, it didn't really take, um, people, people want, you know, organization. They want, you know, captains to put matches together and practices and, um, for people to, to really call cause they had to set up their own matches. You know, it's not, none of it was scheduled. That's the flex part. Right. So, so and it just found that people, you know, you'd have a handful of folks who are really gung ho, and they'd make the calls and they'd set up the matches. But overall, it just died. Really, you know. So we don't offer it anymore. That that uh, it didn't take.
0: Yeah, for our listeners, at least it, Cincinnati Flex League is flexible. Where you know, many times the person behind the front desk has the, I would say, burden of trying to make that happen. We're you know, calling people up. Can you play and. But I, I think that the occupancy rate of indoor courts is so high; it's probably not as much in demand as it was. Well, at point. we
1: we do we, we offer services for our members where we um, where we do in house leagues, and so and we do an in house uh, uh, both men's and women's during the weekday um, evenings. We have a game arranging service. So at a certain time and in a certain uh, day in the evening, we um, we will put members on this. We use constant contact and we'll put them on this email distribution list and shoot them out weekly emails, invites and whoever wants a match that day, you know, for the upcoming evening, whatever it is, Wednesday night for the men, you know, if they want to play that Wednesday, they simply respond to our, our invite. And then we go to work and we find them the match. So we do game arranging weekly game arranging. That's been a real hit. Um, So we, we, we offer that. That's just for members. Um, and then we'll do a, a, we just started doing a ladies one. The men has been a real hit. And, and what's nice is that they're playing later at night. So they're using later core time than, than if we didn't arrange something, we may not have sold that as as well. But, um, so that's something that we do. And then, then I, I have, uh, we have in-house doubles leagues that we kind of do that with doing the same kind of email invite. Uh, thing and but that that we um we actually um i run like a three five men's doubles uh on a certain night and um and i have uh with some help of with some help of some brighter minds than me with come with technology they built this uh, algorithm for me in my spreadsheet so it took me out of the lineup business and, and i created this league where you know guys um their results. We track their results each, each week, they play a number of games and I log the games in and it, it updates our player rating and, and then, and then they play an order of strength based on that rating. So, um, so that's just all in house. And then of course we have the weekend uh, for adults, um, for working adults, we have the weekend traveling teams with our home and away with that, with that league. So we do a combination of in-house stuff that that's arranged for folks and, uh, and then the, and then the traveling league. And I think most people really, gosh, they, they want the organization, you know, they want someone else to find them the matches. You just don't, you, you still see some people, you know, finding their own groups and finding the matches on their own, but, but those products, I mean, the, or those services that we provide have been real, real strong, um, you know, for us. So
0: I've always said that, uh, the person who has to fu- arrange matches, that may be the toughest job in tennis. Where you know, (laughs) because everybody wants to play a better player and win. Uh, Oh, I used. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I used to do it before this. Before I got smart and had uh, had someone build, you know, build this algorithm for me and put it in a spreadsheet. I used to. uh, I organized this men's this upper level four zero and up and uh, upper level men's doubles group on a Thursday night, and I used to. And it was all in order of strength, and I would track just by hand um, the results and move guys up and down. The problem was it was completely flawed because and I had over 70 some guys in this league. And of course, you know, you don't have that many playing each week. So every week you got a different group of guys playing and you, you just, sometimes you'd have, five or six guys who deserve to be on a certain court and you had to t- tell two of them, uh, you, you know, you're playing down and, and, you know, then you get the complaints of, uh, well, you know, I won, I won last week. I, I deserve to go up, you know? And so when I got this algorithm built into this thing, that would set, save me. That saved me. Cause now I don't, I let the math do it.
0: <laughs> In the, the citywide league, most of the leagues, it's, it's all doubles.
1: No, I mean, no, it's doubles. It's a uh, men's, Men's and women's doubles um, on the weekends. They play three courts. Uh, women's doubles during the week uh, for daytime women, and uh, and then on the on the weekends we have uh, we have uh, women's um, singles and men's singles. Okay. So they play on opposite. You know, you could be on a doubles. Like for the men, it's uh, on on Saturday they play doubles, and the, the doubles leagues go on Saturday and Sunday are the singles leagues. So, and then they, we have Friday night mixed doubles league. Um, and we have a, a, weekday women's singles league on Friday during the day. So so it's, it's really comprehensive. I mean, it's
0: Eastern, Eastern Hills, correct. Um, name, yeah. name the club. So when do the doors open? When do the doors shut?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, we have some early drill groups, uh, but typically 7am. I mean, we don't have fitness, uh, Um, or a pool or any, a track or anything like that. So it's just tennis. So typically we open between seven or 8 AM, um, depending if we have some drill groups, Uh, we have some cardio classes in the morning on certain days. And then depending on what, again, what we have cooking at night, you know, uh, we have like on Thursday night, we'll have play go finish at 11 PM. Um, so, so it's an all day deal. Um, Weekends are shorter hours, we don't go as long, although you know we do host uh, you know some xavier matches that that make us go longer. We'll have events in the evenings, some weekends and things like that. so um, we do pickleball uh, uh, on sun you know like a Sunday night pickleball open club pickleball so we we've dabbled in it, but we haven't gone full on, you know it really we we use it during odd hours but um but yeah, it's definitely. Uh, something we've used to fill some court time at, at odd times.
0: Uh, I spoke to Mark Hamlin today, Mark Hamlin, lifelong friend. We grew up together and um, I convinced him uh, to get into tennis teaching. So he's my first student, first student tenant, that first person I taught to teach tennis. But I remember Mark. He's been in Germany a long, long time. And he, um, right. 40 years, I think, uh, 81, he, yeah, 1981. So, 41 years ago, but he used to run a, run, run a moonlight league. I mean, so he had people playing at midnight. Uh, wow. With, uh, but no, it's, it's great to hear that the club is so active.
1: With. Yeah. Our, go ahead. We, we, our location is great. I mean, that's, that's one of the, the things that's nice. We're, we're the only club in Cincinnati that, that sits in within the city limits. And a lot of, all the other clubs are outside the city limits. So we're very centrally located. We're, we're located in some near some fantastic neighborhoods with people that, you know, um have some aff- affluence and whatnot and just just are our, our tennis tennis folks and so we're just uh it's been great. I mean, where where we are.
0: I asked young people if they've heard of Howard Johnson's, you know, it used to be you'd go there for an ice cream, but every every town seemed to have a Howard Johnson's kinda of like a holiday in today, but Howard Johnson is the first rule of business. Number one is location, location, location. Yeah. Um, we have housing for a limited number of players. And what's ideal about it is you, you can just walk a mile, a half mile, perhaps it's right around the corner where there's a 16, three wall racquetball and it, they're always open. Oh, wow. And the lights are on till nine and, um, what a better way to say okay? I'm gonna go, you know, hit hit an extra thirty minutes of tennis balls. With
1: yeah, that's well. I, I have to say that's, and I hope my 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 uh, my nephew and my brother are listening to this. My my dream is to build an incredible wall outside at the club and have it lit. I know it's, It doesn't. It, you know, it's one of those things that you think the the business. You know, the business side and the tennis side. And I'm I'm more on the tennis side, and, and uh, you know. I understand the business side, of course. You know, you got to keep the lights on, all that stuff. But, but uh, developing tennis players, gosh, the wall is fantastic. Well, you do have so,
0: you do have some land behind behind the building, correct?
1: Yeah, next to us. Yeah, next to us. Yeah, we have a lot next to us, so there is that. But yeah, backwards. so I keep crossing uh, yeah. my fingers. It's it is you know we'll we'll see. Hopefully, down the road, before it's all said and done, I'll have a wall at some point.
0: Backwards, yeah, they need to be built um, yeah. with um, years ago, late 70s, John Wayne Tennis Club, Newport Beach, California, 16 courts, I believe it was in the front desk. You could actually see every court. It's 16 televisions You that know, they didn't use, The term monitor was not used at that time. And they had a rating system, one through 10. And it was really amazing. The players that were 10 were all you know, basically legends of the game because so many people mm-hmm. um I mean, Roy, Roy Emerson was coaching there at that time with, um, what are your thoughts with the UTR? We've, we, um, talked about the NTRP, um, mm-hmm. as a club owner. Um, I know you, your daughter, um, Sarah plays and plays well, so you know it from that side, but what about being a club owner with yeah. the UTR? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, um you know it's funny they they've called on us uh periodically every year and um and you know i know brandon's looked at the costs and some of that stuff and it just with everything that we've got going with our leagues and our drill groups and our in-house groups and how we built our own algorithm and and some of that we just haven't we just haven't embraced it um, because I, I think we're a little spoiled because we're, we, we do, we fill our courts. And so it limits, you know, how creative you can get. And I think when you start looking at UTR events and how can you integrate UTR with, with the current players, I think you're probably looking at, well, I wanna, I wanna build something. I need to fill court time and I need to, you know, generate things. And, with us it's just what we have going does that does the trick. So, and and like I said, we, we with certain groups who've already kind of done our own UT, we are, we have our own algorithm kind of built in. Uh, I haven't had a lot of uh, really any members who've approached me and said, Hey, you know, we'd like to do some sort of UTR event. We'd like to have play some, some UTR, you know, sanctioned matches and that kind of thing. Um, you know, with with all the uh, the the adult teams we have, like I said, we had forty four adult teams. I think out of the eleven clubs, we're we're barely third with the most uh, adult teams in this entire league. Out of those eleven clubs, so we've got a lot, and with only eight courts, so which you know, as I travel with Sarah to do this, some of these tournaments, I have some of get, get to know the parents. They. They often ask me, oh, so you, they find out I manage a club or whatever, or I work at a club and they say, yeah, I, we're not familiar with that club. It's because we just don't, we don't host the, the, the junior tournaments and, you know, they tend to know that the, the clubs that do and, and it just goes back to the health of our adult leagues and our weekend play is so strong that it's like, well, we're, you know, and with Xavier matches and things like that, we've got commitments and, and socials and whatnot. It's, We don't, we don't have the need or, uh, to do the junior tournaments. Um, we have some, we have some junior match play and some things that we offer members and non-members. But, but as far as hosting, usually you find that the clubs, and I could be wrong, but, um, that hosts these, a lot of the junior tournaments are really looking to fill that court time. You know, they have court time to fill and they want to, you know, put, put, put people on court. So.
0: So a little bit spoiled that way. Well, let me ask, or first I should state, you know, what's a mushroom? The mushroom is someone my age, you know, and they wear the big floppy hat. That's the mushroom hat. And mm-hmm. typically they have a band around their, their elbow and, and they can't move. And those matches used to be so critical where the, the mushroom, you know, so you know, the guy in the 60s in, in his 60s, he was playing the Hotshot Junior. Where I know at one point, with Nadal coming on the scene, the kids would have a pair of shoes and wristbands and headbands and a, a big bag, bag and, and, <laughs> and a racket, it was all the black and yellow. And, and right. it was a pretty safe bet that the mushroom would win.
1: Um, right. Coming back. Who go, brings his own chair, brings his own chair to the court.
0: Yeah, yeah. If it's outdoors, you know, yeah, they're going to take that chair and put it under the tree and. Uh, Right, but the the, the junior won't take the ball out of the air and the, the the hacker is hacking away on the backhand side, floating the ball up. And they really, they really don't have anything except for the mentality. They keep the ball in play and they can lob and they take take the role of the spoiler. I do think that the mushrooms now are playing pickleball when you say that, or you still have a lot of old people playing.
1: What are the demographics? Yeah. You know, you, you, you do find, you know, you hear how people are, um, you know, tennis uh, is hard on their body, and uh, or has been, and you've seen that they've transitioned to pickleball, and um, and I understand it. Gosh, the first thing the first thing I did after this surgery, um, I was visiting some family up in Michigan, and and uh, and I've got a sister and a, and a brother-in-law who play who love pickleball. They're not tennis players, but they love pickleball, and and uh and i was you know two and a half almost three months out after having this knee done and they said well you want to come play and i said well i i'm like yeah i don't want to sit around the house and i know i can at least walk to a ball you know so that's what i did and i was able to play and i i didn't run a stitch i but i was competitive because i could walk and uh and i could bend down and, and at least get pick up some low balls and and with my tennis skills, I was right there, and um, so yeah, I, I, you kind of, you kind of see that, that that you know that definitely pickleball's got that that group.
0: But well, I do think the older... we'll, see,
1: we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, will there be adult leagues? So, you know, how or is pickleball just going to stay as you know? You see the competition more being uh, with organized tournaments. Um, at least here in Cincinnati, I haven't seen a real organized league per se. Um, you have clubs, you have like in Cincinnati, they have a Cincinnati pickleball club and they're organized as a group where they say, Hey, we're going to go here. We're going to play there. Hey, there's courts and they kind of organize group. And then, um, but you, I, I, haven't heard of a real pickleball league. I'm sure that's coming at some point, but, um, um we'll just kind of see how that goes, I guess.
0: The people that were in tennis in the seventies can see it as clear as day that what's happening with pickleball now, it's it's like the tennis boom of the seventies. Yeah. I mean it is just growing in leaps and bounds and It is. But you know, I think also the uh steel lines from everybody, Chris Clore, you know, a lot of junior players are just trying to launch missiles. You know, they have the the, sophistic- yeah. the sophisticated modern rackets, and they're just teeing off on. You know, yeah. the, the shot times they can't work the rally, and they're. The, back when everybody was playing with the wooden racket, the speed of the game definitely was different. You know, I think a lot of juniors would look at YouTube clips and just write off the players from years ago because the speed of the game was much slower. But then, but the qual- yeah. the skill, the skill level. Um, you know, Roger Federer is the one who says, "Well, one of the reasons people." don't come to the net as they fear the low volley. Uh, but you know, you can, you can play a point where you come in and most of the time you don't have a low volley, you know, you get the ball above the level of the net. Right. uh, Let's circle back to your background. Um, and you know, and that ties in obviously with tennis instruction, but you played, um, all played all the American sports. What I'm sure baseball, basketball,
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up playing, playing all the sports, um, Uh, basketball, baseball, uh, swimming, um, soccer. And then, uh, but my first love was football and, uh, my parents didn't let me play until I was in the sixth grade. So, but I, I was one of those kids that, uh, I just loved it. And I would, you know, dress up as a little kid. I'd had the football outfit run around the house, run into stuff. And, and, uh, and once I got to play, You know, that was really, I I was, I played tennis. I mean, I, I, because I grew up with it and we grew up going to taking the classes and I enjoyed it. And I loved going, my dad was a tournament player, you know, amateur local big tournament player here. And so I would go watch him play tournaments and I, and he and I would hit and I really enjoyed it. And, um, but it was a seasonal sport for me. You know, it's back when, you know, you change sports with the seasons. And so, um, so you, played, but high school, then you I,
0: played high
1: school tennis then? I did. I played high school tennis and high school football. And my, I, I went to a football powerhouse, uh, Moller High School in Cincinnati, um, which uh, which was um, the built by uh, Jerry Faust. I know you know that name, mm-hmm. um, who went on to, to coach at Notre Dame from Moeller. He went yeah, from yeah. high school to the head coach of Notre Dame. So yeah, he built the program story. and, yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a, I mean, if you look, uh, you just Google Molar, Cincinnati Molar. people who know high school football around the country know that name. And so I, I went, uh, cause I love football. I wanted to play there. And, um, and I did. And what was really great is, um, is just the culture? It was a, I really, my first introduction to a championship culture and, and you got to be around cause it, it attracted the best athletes from the area. So, you know, you I was around world-class athletes I mean uh, I had Ken Griffey Jr. in my class I mean I you know I, he was on my he was on my my football team and and uh um I mean the Larkins the Larkins Bob Crable Tom Waddle I mean there's this name after name um uh, of of players that I got to either practice against or watch play or or play with and um and it was uh, it was a heck of a culture. So um, that was really my first introduction to technicians. I mean, that, you know, it's kind of led me to to, to where I am now and my and how I gravitated towards the great base. I mean, that's kind of where we're going with this thing. And that is, I, I it was um, that program was so that football program at Moeller was just everything with technique. And um, and you when you came in. Your freshman year, they asked you, what position do you want to play? And nine times out of 10, whatever position you told them you wanted to play, now they'd move some players around, but usually you're playing that, that one position for four years. And you are, by the time you're a senior, you've got that position down. You know your reads, you know the plays, you know technique, technique. I mean, everything was about technique.
0: And you played on three And teams, the amount right?
1: of film work. Well, I'm sorry?
0: I'm sorry. You played a freshman, then JV, and then varsity.
1: Yeah. I played all four years. I mean, that was my, that was my thing. And, uh, and then I played tennis, uh, played tennis just for fun. I mean, and, and I enjoyed it and I did, I did fairly well in tennis mainly because I, I love doubles and I played doubles. Well, that's how I ended up making Xavier university's team is I, I did well in doubles and, uh, was well, kind well, of Xavier's double specialist. But
0: well, being at the club, I mean, obviously you grew up with doubles, right?
1: Yeah. 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 I grew up playing tennis and so I, I had it my whole life. So that I, was
0: I, I interrupted when you said film work, but before we get on to film work and your yeah. high school days, I remember Jerry Faust and everybody in America was pulling for him. He was so successful in high school and to, to make that jump to Notre Dame, just touch upon Jerry Faust. How did that work out for him at Notre Dame?
1: Um, You know, you know, he, it, it, it's, it's a shame it didn't work out because I think he embodied everything Notre Dame Everything Notre Dame stood for, it seems like. I mean, it, you know, just in not only uh, culture, faith, um, uh, just everything, uh, just raising outstanding young men. I mean, turning, you know, boys into men. I mean, just, and he still, he comes back and he still volunteers, he still does stuff at Moeller. And he's, I mean, he's just, uh, he's an icon and he did it right. But he just didn't have. And I don't know if it was the X's and O's. I was not coached by him. Uh, my head coach was Steve Cloney, uh, and, uh, in my, my, I was a, I played linebacker and my linebacker coach, uh, Jim Lippincott, who ended up going from high school to the Bengals. And, um, and so, um, but you just heard and you can kind of see, uh, w- what he was about, um, and 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 the the guys that coached me worked as assi- as Jerry's assistants. So um, it just uh, there's a lot of tradition. I mean, it was, a, so, so it was just like Notre Dame, it's tradition, right? I mean, gosh. Uh, and so he embodied everything that that um, that Notre Dame stood for. He just didn't get the wins. I, I, like,
0: I like the quote you shared with me the other day. I never heard that. Uh, tradition is always under construction.
1: Is that all? Yes. Yeah. I love that one. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, a Lou Holtz quote. Lou Holtz. Uh, I, love, I love Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz is like one of my favorite coaches of all
0: time. Uh, here's a story for you. So I was in a restaurant, fun, fun guy, Luke Wickham. You know, he's been my real estate coach and he was helping out with a project that we had in Orlando, built a small tennis facility. So Wickham goes to the men's room, he comes back to Smith. Lou Holtz is here. And I said, is he uh, with a group of people? He said, no, he's e- eating by himself. I said, is he, I said, is he done? He said, almost. I said, all right. Well, wait till he's done. You don't want to interrupt someone when they're, when they're eating. And uh, so I went right up and I said, Lou Holtz. I know more about Lou Holtz than Lou Holtz. And it, it was so much fun. I said, "I said, I said, do you remember the time when you were in Minnesota? And he was talking to the people of Minnesota in crazy, crazy days today. And people, um, might take this as, as, as a racial, racial comment, but he got in front of the people, of Minneapolis, Saint Paul, and he said the heart and soul of this team is going to come from Minnesota, and everybody applauds and they're cheering. And then he, like a true, true comedian, is he pauses and he goes, "But we're going out of state for for legs and for legs because there's no no speed in this entire state." And, uh, but. No, Lou Holtz, the, the acronyms win, what's important now. But there's a great yeah. story about Lou Holtz. You know, back in the day, coaches didn't make very much money, and he was an assistant for um, Woody Hayes. My father was a huge Woody Hayes fan. He used to write, help yeah. Nixon write speeches. So, you know, and he's way overweight, but uh, Purdue had a guy named Leroy, Leroy Keys, who was a great defensive back, like like the best in the country, and up for the Heisman. You know, maybe, maybe he went both ways, but Anyway, so meaning that he I have to so go both ways. He uh, played offense and defense. Anyway, with um, they were um, like like third and long, or there was a certain situation where Lou Holtz told the defensive backs to move back to move back in the field, and Woody Hayes yelled and said, "No, move up." And Lou Holtz said, "No, they got to move back." So Woody Hayes right there, you know, said that, uh, "Hey." you're going to get fired. They don't move back now. You're out of here. You're right on the sidelines. But he used to say that, you know, Woody was with his stomach. You know, I was on the 35 and Woody was on the 40 and his, 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 his belly was bouncing against me. And, but, uh, yeah. No, I love Lou Holtz as well. But tradition is yeah. always under construction. He's somebody, our listeners, uh, you know, he made it happen when he had his, his turn at Notre Dame he was very successful.
1: Well, that's how I tell you, that's how I feel about our our, uh, our you know, our great base program. I think we're in our, our infancy still our stage still uh, and I and uh coach Gary Gary Alpert who's been instrumental in in uh, in showing me the way, <laughs> leading me to you, leading me to Vic. So, uh and uh and and um and that's how I feel about our 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 program, you know, and we we're gosh, I guess we're seven seven years in now, and uh, and I still think it's it's under construction, you know. So, um,
0: I, I'll read this to the listeners. I see in your notes. Um, I really appreciate how you put this into words. The Great Base to me is an incredibly detailed roadmap built on truth. Yeah. Um, with, uh, well, no, let's talk about Gary. And, and I
1: tell you, as as a student, as I start, as you start digging into it, it, it's like an onion. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the, the appeal back something, and you're like, what? And you, you, you just make more discoveries and, and the depth of it, I mean, is, it's just humbling. And, um, I mean, for me, I, you know, I, I felt like I had some, I grew up with some, we had some great pros at Eastern and, and grown up and, and they were, they, you know, they, they, they did great with, you know it, it's kind of how I, I look at uh, my my teaching career it's, it's the the three e's of a lesson you know and and, and our pros were so great at you know they they knew that they would give folks exercise you know they, they were creative they managed they managed people they kept pe- they were really well organized and, and all of that thing and lesson planning and things like that and then and then, and they were great with, you know, as far as enjoyment. That's, I, I felt like I, I could chat people up. They, you know, I, I worked, uh, Jim Brockoff, who was my, my college coach. Uh, he, I also worked with him and for him, uh, teaching tennis. And he was a Pied Piper and just was such a great people person and a wonderful, wonderful man. He's like a second father to me. And, um, and he just, he just taught me the art of, of being able to chat people up, you know. He, he would, he would have made an incredible first baseman. You know, he, he could chat people, he, he could chat with anyone. And so, so you learn how to do that with, with teaching. And I, I felt like, but, but, um, but I realized when Gary uh, introduced me and it was what, I guess when he first joined our staff in 1999, he, he uh, when I interviewed him, it was almost like he was interviewing me. It was really odd because he he was, came at me with stuff I'd never heard before. And I'd been around a lot of pros. And at that point I, I, you know, uh, hired a few myself and, um, but, but he came in and he, I think he was feeling out the situation. See if I was even game on am I open to information? You know, and I was, I, I and, and so, um, and I realized, I think I, I kind of go back to to my football days, and then and, and also um, I, I taught when I moved out to Colorado. I, I taught snowboarding, uh, and I worked underneath at a brilliant coach. His name is Lowell Lowell Hart, and um, they they brought him from Stowe, Vermont, to Keystone. I worked at Keystone on 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 uh, on um, at their first snowboard coaching team when they when they when Keystone the resort allowed snowboarding for the very first time they, they, they brought in Lohart, and I was on that staff. So he had to come in and he had to train everyone, but he, he was a technician and the same thing with my whole, my football career at Molar, it was all technique and it was all, it was technique. So I grew up in these different sports and around people who were technically sound and they, they coached through technique and, and that was a real value. And I never really had that in tennis. And so my missing link as a coach, I think, was the education part, that last E, where, you know, learning the biomechanics, the physics, the, the, you know, the dimensions of the court, you know, things like that. Um, I, you know, diagnosing a, a primary flaw. I mean, that, that right there, I, I had no, when I was teaching, I, you know, I taught like most people, I, I taught what I, what I was taught. And I just took it for granted that, it oh, must be how it should be. and and things like that. But I had no idea. I didn't, I was lacking that education. And, um, and I thank Gary for that. Cause he's really the one who, who led me, uh, to Vic. And once I got to that, I started, it really all just started making sense. And then, um, so Gary was with us, uh, for a couple years Then he moved out to Colorado for like 15 years, Gary Albert, who was a tennis checker for the listeners. Um, studying underneath you. And, um, and so then he came back to us and, uh, that's when I came down to, um, when he decided to come back to work at Eastern and, and at that point he had introduced me to, to your information online. And that's when we came down to, that's when you're working at NC state and we came down to check out your program and meet you in person and hear more about it, but. But, yeah, that was for me as a coach, it was that education part that I was lacking and uh
0: yeah, and I mean, now that I have it,
1: i mean now that I, I i i it's like that onion, you know you peel back these layers of this of all of this this fact based information it's just no, first off, it was humbling and then and then it it got me energized back into to teaching again and and it's to me it's like fertilizer
0: well one, one thing the layers of onion, like how you put that where um, I can remember, you know, just like everyone back in, in, we, in our beginning podcast, I think we have three episodes just dedicated to, to Vic Braden. Well, Vic, initially everybody met him because PBS started filming matches. Vic was doing PBS commercials. I mean, it was a non-commercial network. So it was, you know, the one minute, the, the 90 seconds in between when they changed from one end to the next. You know, then there was tennis magazines. His book came out in seventy seven. But if people in, in, in the great is, you know, it's a it's a body of work that certainly there's many other tennis coaches, but Braden is, as you know, the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. With with that, um, if someone studies what we've assembled, if they study Braden information and some of the add-ons, very impressive add-ons. And you think about, you know, like Jim Lair or Dennis Vandermeer and Welby Van Horn on and on and on. But the mm-hmm. more you, the more you work the information, that's where the, the layers of an onion, that's where the depth comes in. If someone teaches, you know, if they're, if they study Braden, you know, and, and 10 years later they've been working it, it's like, they, it just makes more and more sense as they go.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, all, you see, it starts to really work. And, and, you know, in our past programs, I mean, we were, we did it. We, we we did we did the best we could uh, as a staff, and, and I worked under some great some great guys who really cared. But you know, strokes and and grips and some of that they didn't really stand for anything when it came to technique, and so they'd allow players to kind of gravitate to whatever they were doing, and um, and, and so to me that's why when I it just never. Again, my background in football and how everything is technique. they used to you know when they would when we would go to the film room, they would count how many false steps we would take, you know what our reads were like, what our you know tackling technique everything was technique, 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 and then and and then the other sport of tennis is like it was there was very little thought, so that's why I, I found myself gravitating towards it because i I thought it was missing, I knew it was missing. And I knew that we really, our best, our past program didn't really stand for anything as far as stroke production. And I mean, you know, you, you, you just kind of let kids, let kids do what they want. Um, and, and if you see a good, a decent stroke, yeah, you, you compliment that, but, the, but there was the corrective measures, uh, for kids who weren't doing it weren't, there was no real progression or, or, or corrective measures that were being utilized to, to to try to get a certain technique, and and that's what really kind of sold me on that. Plus, plus the science part of it, and that's you, know, you start investigating it and listening to Vic information and getting aerial, and the, gosh, that'll blow your mind. I mean, that you know, you start going down that road, it's like that's a whole nother thing. I mean, so so it's really been a, a, a an interesting journey. Um, so let me be, k- you know, that. To, to that
0: coaching side. Oh, that's great input for our listeners. With Gary Alpert, um, I really respect this about Gary. So many of the people that I trained, they, were, they went through this two years, you know, in the classroom, you know, so the theoretical, the practical, we had a 15 hour lab per week and on and on. So many people I trained for two years and they would go somewhere else. A good example would be the overhead. You're going to scratch your back. You're going to point. You're going to take these shuffle steps backwards. That still exists today. I mean, that was the industry norm. They'd say, no, you're going to go back. Some of yourself like a, has a football background. You're going to go back like a quarterback takes the crossover steps, and the left hand is on the throw of the racket, like the left hand is on the football, and they're going to turn their upper mm-hmm. body. They're going to coil. Um, but many of the people I trained, you know, they went someplace, and they said, no, no, that's not how we do it. We do it this way. And they let go of their education. But Gary, mm-hmm. I mean, you communicated with him all those years. He was in Colorado. I think it's great that you know now with you, he's in a leadership position. Many of our students it's like it's like they're on an island, and I've always said that it's only going to work if the person in charge will let it work. And so, for yourself, yeah. your brother, as club owners, um, if if if, and I, I actually think that you know the the owners really need to understand product knowledge, they run core information, and. Yeah. And, you know, I know uh, one of our listeners, uh, I told him I was going to talk to you, and he had a question. I said, well, I'll bring it up on the podcast, is to go in and change a program at a tennis club. And one thing with your tennis club, um, you know, I did some work for Tennis Corporation America, and they had, Mid at that time, I guess now all their clubs are called Midtown. But one time it was just Midtown Chicago, which that was their largest club, and there's Midtown Rochester, Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I went in with the idea that, okay, I would like to be able to impact. They had 55 clubs when I went to work for them. Mm -hmm. So in Rochester, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, um, Midtown Rochester controlled all these small country club programs, tennis and swim programs. Mm -hmm. So I had a staff, you know, 20, 25 coaches and they would. Some of them would work outside of the club. Now, mm-hmm. Midtown Rochester, excuse me, Midtown Chicago, their pros. Most of them would leave the indoor center, and then they would just do their own show. And of course, the club owners, they certainly welcomed all their staff back for the indoor season, and they would bring their own right. clientele. Yeah, so it's always. I think it was much easier to say, "Okay, we can make a program happen." with uh, the summer scenario in Rochester versus the summer scenario in, in Chicago. Could you touch upon that, how that works in indoor clubs?
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for us, uh, um, uh, my dad was the, um, going back to how it was structured. My dad was the silent partner. So his, so, so it, it was the Osterfeld family, George Osterfeld, George and Carol Osterfeld. They, that was the builder. That was my dad's partner. And they had the controlling interest, interest in the club for, You know, for most of the time. And that was George's theory is he would, uh, close the club in August to clean, repair, and work on the club. So in the summer months, he would, all the, all the, the staff would basically, it it would, it'd be a skeleton crew. They would all, all these coaches would go to their outside swim clubs, country clubs, Outdoor, we have several outdoor uh, tennis-only clubs, things like that. They would go and work there, and his belief was exactly what you're saying. They would they would then, you know, uh, recruit new members and bring them back because people would tend to follow their coach and bring them back to the club. And they did; it worked. And and really to this day, because we don't have the outdoor courts. And people in Cincinnati, after a long winter, gray winter, you know, here they want to get outside, and there's a there's a lot of really nice outdoor country club, you know, country clubs, outdoor tennis clubs, um, and those and folks want to get outside and they want to play, and they're and they're members of those of those clubs, so we we allow our coaches to do that, and and we have found that it does, they do end up bringing back, they introduce. Uh, Eastern Hills, two new people, and they do come back and follow them.
0: So, does that they, so they so
1: answer your question?
0: So, you, you, it's like you have programs within programs. It's not, not. It's very difficult to get all the coaches on the same page.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know when, I, and, and I tell you when you first, um, when you first came. You know when we introduced uh, uh, the great base and we were going to go in that direction to our, just our junior program. We weren't going to force. We, you know, I always i when we had a full staff and a staff we liked and a lot of our, we have a huge adult program and our adults like our coaches and you're not going to just say, Hey, take it or leave it. You know uh, if you don't like the system, you're gone. We, we couldn't do that. And, um, and we had a nice staff, we had a good staff. And so um, we tried to say, Hey, you know, we are going to hold the line on our junior program and, I remember you had said, hey, if they're uh, a good policy is at least for the juniors, if they're not all in, they're out. And so I, have I've kept that and, and really it's been hard trying to get, um, trying to get coaches who, um, either are willing to get retrained or, are, um, are humble enough to accept new information. Uh, and that might even be contrary to what they've been teaching for a number of years. And um, when we first changed, uh, changed over to this system, uh, you know, we, we had several pros who were just adamant, adamantly against it. And they just, and, and we're like, okay, we respect your opinion. However, you know, you're not in our program. You're not going to be teaching juniors. And, um, and slowly, you know, some of those, you come across, you hear stories of some of those coaches behind, you know, behind our backs telling, telling people don't, don't come to our, our club's junior program because this, this and this. And, and um, because they're used to the same games based approach and, and fun, fun, fun. And, and, um, and so over time we've, we've uh, those pros have moved on and, and we've, kind of rebuilt our staff and each time i interview a new coach i i absolutely go over the system and i i ask them to to, to go and look at the the website and start doing some homework and and um and all of that and and i've been very pleased that we've had coaches who have come here that have been humble enough to look into it and do some homework you know some of which may not agree 100 percent with what what you know, they might have a few things that they don't agree, but now we, we have a staff that I think they, they, they understand the value in it. And the other thing is the people that have stuck around have seen some of the results that we've gotten. They can tell uh, some of the kids that we, that, that we started with um, and, and see how we get the results. So, you know, as you had said, I remember you had said, hey, you know, you're not going to sell your junior program. Your kids will. It's, it's how your kids hit the ball. You know that that's what's what will really sell the program and i, I agree with that it's it's really gonna be uh, those results and um, and and I think the coaches see it um, so
0: with the bottom line yourself as an owner I know I've traveled as a consultant and you go in and you, what I've done many many times is I just go the first day I just observe the program mm-hmm. and you know I've done it uh, sometimes maybe it's not as easy to do now with Having a little bit of a profile on the internet, so you go in and you're in incognito, and and people don't even know who you are, and you're just observing the program. But you know, then there's just so many complexities. Uh, you know, everyone's an individual; everyone has their own story in tennis. Everyone has their own entry point. Where are they currently? Where do they want to go? You know, just say for example, a 15 year old kid. He's he's been at the club for five years, and. You know, you go in and go, well, fill out this goal sheet. And they write down they want to play college tennis. And then you say, well, okay, we're going to film. We're going to do skill testing. We're going to film match play. We're going to chart. And so you make a study of the young person's game. um, And then they say, well, you have to take steps backwards. A lot of people, obviously, they don't want to do that. Right. And, you know, then with the club. Yeah, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. Then then if you're the owner, then, you know, so say, you know new sheriff in town you know someone comes in and go hey, this is we, how we want to do things that's why in pro sports you know generally if the general manager goes everybody goes the head coach a, right, you know, the right coaches and you just start anew right that's not that's not done in, in the tennis industry but i no, think no it's you know,
1: hard it's hard to do
0: the owners certainly have a fear if you run a service based program that's basically the action method is go 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 And you want to come in, you want to to slow people down. Um, It's very difficult to do. And we've shared this many times. Dennis Vandermeer, you know, he would have match play and simulated drills with, um, you know, I remember uh, it was just, it was a very short stint where Matt Clore was out of college, Dennis, and for one year, beautiful place in North Carolina, Cary Park, he was in charge of, you know, he's in charge of the pros, he was in charge of instruction, And, you know, then you think you get into the compensation packages, how the pros are paid. I mean, there's just – talk about layers of an onion. It just goes on on and on. And, you know, I remember advising Matt. said, no, what you need to do is have two programs. This is match play and simulated drills. And this is, you know, fact-based instruction for long-term development. And, you know, people are going to sign up for the fun drills. That's what they're going to do. Right. But that's where, you know, kids regulate kids. So – you know, look, looking back, say, well, you know, you're either all in or you're all out. I mean, that's that's where a program needs to be in the end. If it is, if it is yeah. a program, you know, we always say that. Unfortunately, the individual becomes bigger than the program. Here in the U.S., it's it's very difficult to have a junior tennis program.
1: Yeah, and and we're trying to we're trying to uh, to, to kind of also follow your your advice on. You know, I've gone back. I was. Helping Gary with uh, with the Great Base program, which is ages ten and up, and now um, we've got another assistant, kind of that's gone through a little bit of training, who's helping, and Gary's leading that. And I've gone and taken um, taken over our younger kids class. So I'll do the early childhood development, and I'll do what we call the Intro to Great Base, which is uh, ages uh, seven to nine. So um, I really enjoyed going back and and working with those younger kids, um, I think that, um, that it's going to mean a whole lot and we're going to see, we're going to see the, 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 the fruit of our labor. Um, now that we're going to go, we're transitioning to, 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 for taking a, someone who's a little bit more experienced in, in the system to work with the younger kids. So, um, we're trying, like I said, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're uh, we're in transition. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to, we're under construction. So. With
0: um, the younger players, our, our last podcast, Richard Hernandez, who we've talked to before, um, we just talked about group dynamics and, and at an indoor tennis club, you know, I, the I'd ideal, like most of the day, if just one court was set up for people to improve their their ball striking skills, mm-hmm. you know, or you can have up and, you know, you know, I've talked about that. You have the portable backboards, you have,
1: you just have right. technical court, just have a yeah. te-
0: technical court, but you know, he was just talking about, you know, number one is it's so expensive. So if someone at your place, they have to obviously pay for the court in the wintertime. I mean, you know, you have to be able to pay your bills. So it's, it's the, right. how, how do you program that? Is it the cost of the court plus a lesson? Or is it all written written as, as one?
1: Yeah, uh, in the fall. Well, because of our membership and and our, how busy we are, you know, we, we have um, uh, we only allow members of the club to take private lessons. So, uh, but that private lesson fee, you know, is uh, is all included with the court fee, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. But um, but as far as leaving the court, we've talked about, gosh, I you know, if if uh, if if our league play ends up going to where it's all three courts you know during the week and all of that would we ever because our ball machine has become real popular and it's like well you know i look at those those lanes that uh, vic had and it's like gosh you know would? uh and i've seen some other clubs of i as i travel with sarah to, to out outline uh, clubs for tournaments and stuff you know you see different clubs who turned a, a court into you know two uh ball ball machine lanes and two you know and they've split a court up and it's like, you know, gosh, that'd be great. But right now where we are and all the things that we've got cooking and the size of our adult leagues and whatnot, it just really doesn't make sense to as much as I would love to do it because it would, you know, I have that desire to for that technique to be taught and, and to utilize technology and, you know, uh, video and and uh, ball machines to gives as many reps as you can and all that stuff it just for us and and what we've got going it just doesn't make sense to to take an entire court and, and, and do something like that on a permanent basis. But boy it would be fun.
0: Uh, an experience I had with with Midtown TCA Tennis Corporation America is I was allowed to direct or a design I should say design a tennis court one twenty by sixty, so they took forty by sixty, and had a cardio room, and it was 80 mm-hmm. thousand dollars. So eighty by sixty, um, I designed three lanes. I, you know, we had a plaque on the wall. With, you know, Vic Brady, the nineteen point one degrees, and they weren't quite. Mm-hmm. You know, the simulated uh, design that Vic had it wasn't as sophisticated, but. You know, and right. what you have with the mesh around indoor courts on both sides, we had, at the end we had um, three different places where people could teach, and there was it was like a, a small classroom at the end of it, each each lane, and it was surrounded by mesh, and it was a, a monitor and a camera, so there would be three pros teaching at one time, and you could, then you could push all the mesh away, and then you just had this open area to do fitness now what happened is it seemed like this the year went by wasn't a very long period of time and then they took away the entire court so what they built were those three lanes and you know there's a classroom we even had a loft uh, i should say a second level above the classroom and that's where we stored all the video at that time our video mm-hmm. was uh, in rochester new york we headquarters for kodak kodak sponsored you know every every person at the club had a um, two videos, a technical and a tactical, but with that, um, have you and your brother, have you had a serious discussions about going from eight courts to seven and having one court just be fitness?
1: Uh, right now I, we haven't, I, I, again, um, I think we're, it's, you know, we're fortunate to have as many teams as we have. And right now we, and, and, uh, and all the other programming right now we need, we need courts um, in, in the fall, winter and spring. So, um, so yeah, right now that's not, yeah, it's not in the cards.
0: And how does it work with your facility? Do you have the 10 and under lines and the pickleball lines on every court?
1: No, we, cause, because we, uh, we got away, we, we went away. We just weren't using the 10 and under lines. Now I was using that to teach, but as far as actually doing 10 and under 10 and under events or 10 and, you know, using, it, we just didn't. And then the last time we, we did our course. We're like, well, we're really not using those pen and underlines other than our teaching pros, you know, doing it, using them for drills and things like that. But so we we end up um, doing away. We just have the clean courts and we thought it was uh, for, our you know, we we host, gosh, nine, nine or more Xavier matches uh, a, a season, which is is, you know, in our fall, winter and spring, it's pretty significant. And, uh, and so we thought it was a better look for them, um, you know, to, to have clean courts and, and I think our, our members, you know, like having the clean courts we do with pickleball, we've kind of marked off, uh, the, where the corners are and we just use tape, um, you know, uh, painter's tape and, uh, and we have the nets and things. So we haven't painted on any permanent lines other than we had this clean tennis. You'd love it. Cause it's just tennis. <laughs> right, right.
0: I do, you know, the 10 and under lines though, that, that sideline is like the percentage line that we use with one of the yeah. concepts. Yeah, it is. The baseline it's nice, is it's great for teaching depth. You know, it's, we call it tiebreaker yep. test too, where you have to hit the, the groundies. Even, you know, yeah. initially when we used the tiebreaker test, uh, Andy Fitzsell added that, which I thought was fantastic. Is You know, we're teaching people close in and volley cross court, but actually to teach better technique is in the tiebreaker test to have players hit the volleys down the line.
1: Yeah, as a coach, I, I do miss I, I miss those lines for that for that, some of those reasons. But um, yeah, so other than that, we just weren't using we didn't have any tenant under rule, you know, events where we use the lines where they were playing. So, uh,
0: do you have any of the adults train with the juniors?
1: You know, we tried. Uh, we tried. Uh, we always will invite a, a, a an adult to come down and and you know be on courts and. And even if they wanted to participate, we just haven't gotten anyone to really take us up on it. Now we've done some, we definitely are, uh, you know, working with doing some more video with adults and, um, and showing them the content and driving them to you, to the website and, and some of that to, to um, you know, to complement what we do and, and things like that. So we are, we are, Implementing it more with adults in our in our program and such, but but as far as um, as far as that, no, that's that's about it.
0: Gary Albert, uh, he's a big fan of brain typing. Yeah, I mean, I know he he just loves it. Uh, you know, certainly recommend people reading uh, John e. Nevinville's book. There's so much written on the Myers Briggs, so much to read. Um, yeah, and we certainly dedicated a podcast to brain typing what are your what comes to your mind i'm an
1: entj <laughs>
0: that, that means you should be president of the united states uh <laughs> most, it's interesting most uh it's amazing how many quarterbacks are in the nfl are estps but many many presidents have, be, have been entjs
1: uh, and, it's, and it's, it's funny because Gary, gary's an isfp so so he and I, I, I always joke with him, like, Gary, you know why we like each other so much? I said, because we're, we're direct opposites. O- yeah. Opposites attract, Gary.
0: Anyway, no, and, so. uh, Myers-Briggs was used for marriage uh, counseling, and uh, it's true, opposites attract. That's where kids become yeah. master manipulators. They realize that the parents are wired differently, and and they yeah. look, look left and look right. That's what I'm always telling parents. Rule number one is that you can disagree with each other, but don't disagree in front of your kid right major problem major right problem. you know I, for every tennis player i've worked with like, you know fortunately you're you're meeting almost two parents so you know you've met lots of parents over, over the time but yeah
1: now, Coach, Coach, you're you're what you're you're an enf ENFJ. is that right uh actually
0: i i'm a dummy <laughs> but, uh, no the, uh yeah yeah enfj empathetic educator with ENTJ, yeah. the CEO cannot not lead. Um, Billy Jean King, John Newcomb, there's lots of ENTJs. Um, do you find yourself that, that you want to be in a, a leadership role?
1: I I, um, I like organization. I like structure. I, I definitely think long-term. I think, you know, uh, so I'm a planner. Uh, even when I teach, I always carry a clipboard. I have a lesson plan. Uh, whether I use it or not, I know I ha- I, I do a better job when I know I have it, when I know I've thought it out ahead of time and I've, and, um, I, so, you know, I, I always carry that around. Um, yes, I do. I, I think that there are times that I, um, like with our junior program, if Gary and I have a, you know, an issue with, you know, where, you know, how, how can we educate the parents or how can we, you know, what can we do to, you know, always look at, how can we be better, uh, at what we do and, and all of that. I, I tend to be more big picture, um, uh, than him. And so, and I, um, uh, even though, you know, I consider him my mentor, you know, he's, he's, uh, a huge influence on me. And, um, and, so, and I told him, I told him that you'd find this funny. Mm-hmm. I told him before, uh, he knew I was going to do this tonight. I said, Hey, Gary, I, I I just want to apologize (laughs) for anything I'm going to say tonight. I just want to (laughs) apologize. He just like, he looked at me cross-eyed, you know, he didn't know if I was joking or what, but so I'm sure he's going to listen to this. So he, he's been great. And, um, and I do, I, I find that I, uh, I do want to lead. Um, but I, I think that, uh, there's times where, um, like with, when, when, when we brought him along, I, 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 I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I realized I didn't know. And and I, and I wanted to know, you know, I realized there was a lot I didn't know when he first, you know, came to the club and, um, and I felt good that, um, that I was looking more for the truth and I cared about what I, I had no problem changing what I was teaching because I wanted to do it well and I wanted to do it right. It wasn't an ego thing I wanted to I was looking for the truth And I wanted to Educate myself And um And all of that And um So yeah I, I think I am big picture I think I do like to I do like to lead When I can When I feel confident In my skills to lead I guess
0: Yeah with uh, The word truth That came up many times In our last podcast With Richard Hernandez um, Facts You know don't tell me what you think. Tell me what you know. Can, yeah, you know, can 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 it be measured? And and is there any physics involved? You know, what what makes the ball? You know, the the speed, spin, trajectory. I mean, it, it's not opinion. So 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 many things. Right. With um, and now in hiring people, do you use? Uh, you find yourself using the brain typing.
1: Well, I you know I I. <laughs> There was a time where I, after I got comfortable with people and all that, I'd say, hey, uh, you know, I would take, I would take, uh, Jonathan Need uh, his test, uh, uh, and I, I'd, I'd make a bunch of copies, like just for fun. Let's just, you want, you feel like taking a, a fun person, personality test. It's kind of like a Myers Briggs thing, you know, and, and if they agreed to do it, they would do it. And I, you know, and so, but no, I, I, um, you know, introvert, extrovert, that kind of thing, you know, um, it, it's hard to get, it's hard. Number one, it's hard to find good people. Um, and so, and, uh, staffing is, is a, is a challenge. Um, I just won't, I don't want to bring in anyone just to feed balls and keep score. I want people who are, um, interested in learning, uh, humble enough to look Look at the information that you know that we have, and and so, and then um, you know that has a personality. You know, like I said, can can you chat people up? Can you you know that kind of thing? And and I know that our our membership they're tough. They're used to some really good pros. We've had some fantastic pros, Um, and people that have been with us a long time. People that um, even if they've moved on, they they're they're either involved in tennis or not, but they were just excellent really at, um, organizing, uh, and executing quality lessons for people. Um, so, so it's hard for me because the standards pretty high and the, our membership has come to, to, you know, demand a, a certain level of expertise. It's, it's, um, finding those people and, 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 and or training, finding people willing to be trained. I've interviewed a lot of uh, uh, people, and and I say, you know, when I interview them, I find out they know very little, and I hit with them, and they're you know, four zero plus, and with holes in their games, and 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 but they seem willing to learn. And I sit them in my office, and I said, "Well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to not, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to take the role I stole your 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 line. You're going to have to be the the starving artist here a little bit, you know." Um, uh, and you're going to have to, yeah, I can, I'm happy to, be, you know, provide you information, help train you, show you where you can get information, work on your craft, work on your feeding, work on, you know, film you work on your strokes. You know, and if you really want this, you're going to have to work for it here. And then they go down the street and they get hired instantly because they can feed a ball and keep score. And, and, the, and then, and they're a pro and they're already making money. So it's harder for me because I, I guess I'm I'm a little bit more stubborn on that front.
0: Oh, uh, what you added at the end? Uh, that I was just about to ask about with in-house training, but yeah, people will go right down the street and it's like, well, you know, this is instant coffee. They're just going to hire me, and there's no orientation. They just roll out the ball oh. ball basket and they're feeding balls, yep. and yep. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. And that's I hate to say it, but that's American tennis. Um, it's just ama- uh. it's amazing. To the programs don't have orientations hey, we gotta have,
1: so yeah, and we got to have. Yeah. And, and you don't know if they, you don't know. I, I mean, uh, you don't know how much they're going to invest in their time, you know, but uh, you know, this happened recently where, you know, a pro came into my office, had very little background, just started teaching in the, in the summertime at a local outdoor club and could had you know, worked on being able to feed a ball. And like I said, wanting to, they felt like they wanted to pursue this as an occupation. And they, I, as I interviewed them and started, you start finding out what they know. they know very little there, you know, you get them on court. It's not good. It's their feedings, not that great. And you knew, you know, you're square one. And, and then, uh, and then they have an interview with another uh, uh, club down the street or up the road. And, and, And they call and they say, hey, listen, I got a job. They already got hours for me. And I see the posting on their website and introducing, hey, this pro is great. I'm thinking, shaking my head, knowing what I just interviewed and knowing what I just saw and and thinking, oh, my goodness, not good.
0: Hey, let's circle back. Pete Rose told the young listener is going to look up Charlie Hustle. Tell us about uh, Charlie Hustle. Watching him play tennis when you were a kid at your dad. Oh game.
1: yeah, it, it was great. I mean, Pete Rose is uh, so much about Cincinnati, uh, and and so uh, again, where the club was situated in Cincinnati, we uh, Pete Rose uh, played played at at our club. And as a kid, my dad used to have these um, what they would call early birds, so he would open the club at like six thirty in the morning. We go, and if I was off school, he'd drag me out of bed. We'd go pick up donuts and make coffee for, for players. And, and, uh, and sure enough, Pete, Pete, uh, would come down with his attorney, Reuben Katz, longtime attorney, and then a couple other guys, and they'd play doubles. So I grew up, you know, and this would be a few times a year I would go down and, and Pete would be down there. He was a regular when he was in town and there was early birds. He, he was. He was there. So I remember seeing Pete running balls down and you know, this guy's a, he's a major league baseball player. And, uh, and he's he's out there diving for balls, running into the curtain, full steam. I mean, you know, the strokes weren't that great, but boy, that guy, he would, he was Charlie hustle. And, um, I remember one morning I, I got to, I actually, my, my dad's like, Hey Pete, you mind, uh, you mind hitting some with my son? So I got to hit some tennis balls with Pete Rose. That was awesome. quite a
0: thing. With Pete Rose, whether you call it the Prince Valiant haircut or the bull haircut, uh, <laughs> Pete Rose and Jimmy Connors had the same hairstyle. And, yeah. and it wasn't uh, Pete Rose copying Jimmy Connors. It was it was Jimmy Connors copying Pete Rose. Pete came before Jimmy was older. But yeah. It's amazing you, when you watch Connors play tennis. You just think that this guy is copying Pete Rose. I mean, he was yeah. he was Charlie Hustle as well.
1: Charlie Hustle, yeah, right.
0: What about being in o- from Ohio? Uh, what comes to your mind when you hear Ty Tucker and Ohio State tennis?
1: Oh well, I mean, I, I I've uh, uh, we follow Ohio State uh, quite a bit. I mean, I I mean uh, as a school, I, I grew up with woody hayes you know and and watching and loving football so i grew up loving the buckeyes and so um we didn't uc back then didn't really have much of a team and so i i've since i was a kid i i've been i've been a buckeye fan at least on the football side and then with the tennis um you know we we follow him, and that's been a it's what a what a program he's built i mean um and I've seen some, I've never, I've never met Ty. I've never, and I actually have not been to a, to a men's match. I've been to a women's match, a ladies match. Um, it was right before the, um, right before the, the pandemic, uh, hit. And I uh, took Sarah out there, my daughter up there to watch, a watch the ladies play, uh, Arizona state. I think it was. And, um, uh, um JJ's sister, uh, at the time, uh, uh, was playing for Ohio State and um JJ Wolf. So um so yeah we went up there to watch her play and um but yeah I I I uh I've never seen I've heard I have some buddies who will go up and and watch uh they always uh really talk about the the warm up how crazy his warm ups are uh before the match how intense he gets these guys going and and uh, as my buddies would say, gosh, I think I think uh, Ohio State wins the, the match in warm up, you know, and the other teams watching these guys go through their warm up. It's pretty intense. It's I know you know, I mean, gosh, yeah. your son, you know, Connor, I mean, you know, you've got many more stories than I would.
0: Well, with Ty, uh, we've got to get him on the podcast. I've talked to him here recently about it with you driving to Columbus and. You know, there's a sign. It's, I believe, Jack Nicholas Museum. You know, Nicholas, the great golfer, went to Ohio State. But Ty, I mean, could ask him. You know, why is there a building that says Ty Tucker Center or Ty Tucker Tennis Center? I think the answer is winning. They have just mm-hmm. won one and one yeah. and one. Uh, yeah, with yeah, my son, my son played there, and when he was there. Uh, there was a player on the team, uh, Devin McCarthy. You must know that name from Cincinnati. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, I believe he has two other brothers, and they not for the same team. I think they all play for a different Big Ten team. And uh, yeah, he was just a, a great competitor. Um, with I you know Andy Fitzell, he was with me when we first went to Cincinnati, went to your club. Right. And, right. um I know there's quite a bit of. Um, I don't know how our listeners actually would look at that, but there's a lot of film where he comes from, you know, great genes, great, you know, great athletic family, but Mm -hmm. um, you know he, you can see it with his ball striking that uh, you know Andy really helped him refine. his
1: Oh yeah, I I remember seeing that video of where he was uh, had that regressed palm up serve, and then he and then he really he turned it around.
0: Don't he actually? I think he did a great job. He came to visit. Uh, when we were running one of those immersion camps at your club, yeah, that's, uh, right. JJ, that's right, JJ came. I think he's you know top sixty in the world right now. With for our listeners, the immersion club is one of the best ways to run a tennis program in the summer. Is you go out and you buy an air mattress for every kid that's ten dollars. You buy a sleeping bag that's ten dollars, and you know the girls go to the right and they have their own locker room. The boys go to the left. They sleep on the tennis court. Mm-hmm. That's very common in Europe. You can do it at a beautiful place like yours because in the summertime in the U.S., uh, you, you have to have an air-conditioned courts to do that. It's pretty yep. tough in certain parts of the country to actually sleep out, sleep outside. <coughs>
1: um, yeah, that that was uh, when you came up. Uh, I think it was two summers, right? And it was back to back. That was a heck of a that was a heck of a neat experience. And it, it's uh, it kind of goes back to you, you can see that that. Championship culture uh, that that you have and it's kind of developed, you can really see. Um, and I know that you you have kids that, that are coming and going, and it's not like you have a team. Um, but uh, but boy, you, you know how you how you coach these kids up, um, character the character side. I remember when I came uh, to, to NC State with Gary and, and Brandon to, to meet you and kind of see the program up up front uh, in person and boy, you know, we walk out on the court and I think you either, you stopped practice or it was, there was a break and each kid, I've never seen anything like it. Really. These, these kids all ages came in, came up, shook my hand, firm handshake, eye contact, introduced themselves, leaned in, you know, just, you just don't see that. And, um, and you can tell that that's, that's part of a, a championship culture uh, being built. And um, so, so yeah, that's, 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 and, and, and then when you see it, it, it every day, all day, an immersion camp, like you, like you guys put on, and you got kids coming from all over the, all over the country, some internationally, um, and they get a heavy dose of character is refreshing because it kind of, it kind of goes back to my Football days. I mean, that, there was so much character being taught in football that you know you see that um, you don't see it as in tennis. Uh, I haven't, and um, and that was really neat to see.
0: Well, one connection so. of many that you and I have is when you say film work. Um, I played little popcorn and football. I was a runt. By the time I was in high school, my older brother said uh, you need to run cross country. But with film work, uh, I became a big fan of gentleman by the name of sam bolo and when you were in the seventh grade if you had a high enough gpa grade point average you could sign out of study hall so then you had study hall you had lunch period and you had your p.e class and what he would do he was the athletic director and a physical educator he is an old sequence analyzer he would show the game from saturday three times every you know he was looking at every period but i could go three yeah. three periods and that oh, yeah. that has such an impact on me was a you know, uh, then Jerry Kramer came along, played for Vince Lombardi, wrote the book Instant Replay. And, you know, it was just around that time where, you know, people were really using film. And then high school, I love to tell people that high school football, it's a law in America that every, your high school, the high school you play for, you have to get your game film. You know, you play on a Friday or Saturday, you've got to get your game mm-hmm. film by Monday morning. It's got to be on the, the high school campus of the team you're playing next and then vice that's versa. that's right vice versa that's right another thing yeah. um, i'm always talking about two days i, I know you survived those um my father used to always say because my older brothers two out of the three one played um they did they didn't play um they they weren't with competitive football very long and they they, they played golf uh two of them you know pretty high level golf and and my father used to say, "You guys, you boys, should go up there and watch Sam Bolo's do a day's. Just go watch what those, watch what those guys are doing, because everywhere in the United States, even where you right. live in Ohio, by the time August comes around, it's hot in Ohio.
1: Oh, it's yeah, it's brutal.
0: With um, Katie McNally, she's from Cincinnati. You tell us a little about yes. her story.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, she's um, she uh, she's the uh, the daughter of uh, Lynn Neighbors mcnally and john mcnally and lynn is mm-hmm. um she played uh, i think she played big 10 uh, uh college right? tennis
0: Northwestern. yeah north
1: Northwest, there you go so um and and i think she played even a little bit of pro tennis um but she she coaches here uh locally and and then her um and then katie's brother john played at ohio state yeah he, he's um, still
0: trying he's still out there
1: Right,
0: he's John, trying to crack the climb yeah. ladder. I know my son. Right. Uh, I think when John was a recruit, uh, you know, throw a dog a bone when he was a young guy. My son was older, and you know, maybe I don't know, played a challenger doubles with him or something. But uh, yeah, amazing, amazing tennis family. What about the dad? He's, he must. He's a former athlete, right?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know as much. I uh, um, I don't know as much about John, uh, the dad. Um, I know he's he's a you know, a recreational tennis player. I, I think he had some uh, athletic background. I, I don't know as much about, I know more about Lynn because she's in the, she's in the industry. She's a, she's a grinder. She, uh she, uh, uh, I'm friends with, uh you know, Steve Contardi and, and, uh, you know, working, he's their, their club um, is in our league and uh, Harper's Point is where they're out of. And Lynn works there as a coach. And, and you know, you just hear about the work ethic, Lynn's work, work ethic. She just, she just grinds out the hours. And, um, so she's, uh, she's a worker bee. And, um, um, and I think, I, uh, um, uh, I've not, not met him, but I was, I went to a coach's conference and they had, uh, Lynn was talking, uh, this is out at Harper's and, uh, and Kevin O'Neill is Katie McNally's coach, I believe. That's, I don't know much about him. I think he played some pretty big college tennis, but um, so that's her coach. Um, I love the fact that she's, you know, she's one of those, you see the full court tennis players on the women's side, you know, you'll see her serve in volley. You'll see her um, have a full, more of a full court game. I love it. You know, and then being from Cincinnati, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I'd have to do more, a little, a little more research, but I certainly heard that about the mother. I remember, number of times years gone by listening to uh steve contardi at whether it was a usbta some some conference i used to go to all those Mm -hmm. things but with uh you know katie mcnally her tennis game makes me think of a story a couple weeks back we had mike carter on he was with me for five years and i went to a wedding one of my brothers was being married and or getting married and and so I couldn't be at the orientation. We really didn't need an orientation because we had nine months to train the summer staff, but we would, you know, have a couple of days before it's okay. But, you know, nine months is a long time to train someone to be part of a summer camp because they, we had to do, you know, the entire school year. But the, the athletic director allowed a girl from New Zealand who was a very good player. She was number one on the tennis team because she's so far away from home. He said, but yeah, you made the exception because you had to be, you had to go through the training to be part of the summer camp at this college. So the athletic director made this one exception. So I wasn't there for the couple days before the camp started and she came in and she was the best player. And, you know, she just said, no, that's wrong. And that's wrong. And this is how you hit an overhead. And, you know, she's maybe 19 years old. And um, so as, this had nothing to do with Katie McNally, except for the way Katie McNally hits the ball. This girl from New Zealand hit the ball really well. Of course I'm on campus and I'm watching her play and Mike Carter's going you know, I, I tried to run orientation but it didn't go well. And he told me why. I huh. said that she was just very disruptive and everything that we do is wrong and you know the racket face is open and you chip down on the back end, but like all the typical stuff. Right. And I said, Oh no problem. So the very first thing in camp what we did is I said what we're gonna do is a little bit different, and not to share a name, but we I said we're we're gonna film our Kiwi, we're gonna film our player from the other side of the world. And we're going to teach strokes basically the way she hits the ball. I love it. And that's the Braden thing is that you know she had these short, yeah. short, compact swings. It loops. She had really yeah. good grips. And you know yeah. she had a palm down overhead. She was a solid, solid player. And, yeah. And she just was like, uh oh. I mean, that's where that's where you really have to film it. But I, I think with Katie McNally, um, she hits the ball so well. And I really haven't made an up close study of her game, but. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. It's okay. She's really good, and, yeah. and then say okay. Let's look at how she hits the ball, and um, but you have to you have to slow it down. Yeah, even if you were have a sequence of, you know, six frames on her forehand, six frames right. on her backhand, and yeah, you know, that that's what needs to happen. And you know, it sounds like it's great in Cincinnati to get everybody on the right page with the same page, which is right you know, for league tennis. But I know Dave Fish was a guest on our podcast and for years he said, "What we really have to organize is competition and instruction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then, yeah. he's, then he's turned to me and he goes, it's going to be a lot easier to try to organize competition than it is to organize instruction. You,
1: you, you know, it was really fast. It, well, it was fast. Sorry. I don't mean no, to no, cut no, you off. No, no, what well, was really fascinating for me when I, I taught snowboarding and you know, I was a, I was a, um, intermediate snowboarder and, uh, and, and I, but with my teaching, my tennis teaching background, they hired me. That was good enough to teach beginners and all of that. But what I found was, as I got into that teaching a different sport, how organized snowboarding and, and Alpine skiing were as far as what was being taught. They, they had booklets, they would hand you a booklet. And if you wanted to become certified, you, everyone got the same booklet and you taught you know the, the the falling leaf and the you know the the, the garland turned and you, everything was taught the same way every you know it was and, and and everyone had the same book and everyone you know so it was very uh, structured but tennis is nothing like that
0: well you know it
1: was interesting
0: actually for our listeners I... Brian has listened to 114 podcasts. Is that right now? This is, this is uh, yes, 140.
1: I'm, I'm behind. I, I, uh, I need a couple more road trips. Uh, Sarah and I are going to get, going to get, get in the car and go to a doubles tournament. I love it because it's going to be doubles, but um, this weekend. So I'm going to get to listen to uh, 115.
0: With uh, Gail Godwin. She worked for Vicks. He was a coach at UCLA. And then she ran his ski school and if people want to dig deep uh, on YouTube, there's a very nice tribute. Just plug in "Vic Vic Braid Memorial," and she talks about how Vic really impacted the, uh, the the ski industry, which is kind of interesting.
1: Oh, okay. With, I uh, bet the and uh, I bet he was. I bet he was uh, pretty well received. It's from from at least my experience, my limited experience with with that industry and that in coaching that I. I you know, um, you know, I was impressed how organized they were, and and they all, like I said, they it it's like they they weren't arguing over forehands. They were they were arguing argue, arguing over, you know, how to how to, you know, do a hockey stop or whatever. You know, what I mean, no, so.
0: Vic Brady and I've been many had been been many places with Vic, college campuses, and it's like okay. You know there's a psychology department there's physics i mean there's just like he could teach here he could teach there but uh even when we had to check on some av equipment he v- was very humble and said you know i think i can fix that but yeah he was he, he was a mastermind uh here here's a few things on bill talbert um he uh five majors in doubles four majors in mixed obviously he's a hall of Famer. Uh, he wrote a book on singles and doubles. The doubles, they're both, um, they they're, they're, I would say, must-reads for people that are really layers of an onion, people that are deep students, deep students of the game. Uh, the Game of Doubles, <laughs> published in 1977, written by Bruce Old, OLD. Uh, Tony Trabert, five majors in singles, five in doubles, one Davis Cup in 54, Coach Davis Cup 78 to 80. This is interesting. For 33 years, Tony Trabert worked for CBS, and he worked for all sports, but he was the voice of the U.S. Open with Pat Summerall, the the play from football, and I did mention that he played um, both tennis and basketball at Cincinnati, but yeah, number one in the world. For the longest time, it was like, who's going to be the next American to do well at the French? I think it was 55 where Tony won the French, but it was Michael Chang in 89, so a long time with between when one right. won the French and one won you know, Trabert's win and Chang's. But here's a great personality. Uh, Barry McKay was number one in the world, number one in America, number one in America, number four in the world. He, between singles and doubles, he's a Cincinnati boy, he won 40 titles. Uh, he's knocking on the door to win a major. He's in the semis of Wimbledon, Australia, quarterfinals of French in the U.S. Open. And mm. and at one time, he was you know like the most popular broadcaster for uh Televise matches. With um, wow, the um, let's go with some quotes. We can wrap this thing up here. I mean, it's great to have you yeah. here. Any quotes? Well, you, I, you t- yeah, you know, I, I
1: love. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love that uh, the the young uh, gentleman you had um, who who was uh, shadowing you guys had a, had some quotes at the end. He said he wanted to up his. His quote game. So I thought, you know what? I got to get a couple of my own. So I did some digging, and uh, of course, I, I got the, the Lou Holtz tradition is always under construction. But so I got another good one from Lou Holtz: No one ever drowned in sweat. How about that? That's a good one. Yeah, that's great. That <laughs> sounds like Lou Holtz, doesn't it? Uh, uh Gil Ray's This is uh, Andre Iguodala's trainer, Gil. Uh. Weak legs command, strong legs obey. That's good. I like that one. Yeah, uh, it got a Bobby Knight one. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. And then excited, I got
0: excited
1: about it. it was, yeah, that's Bobby Knight. And I got one. This is from, uh, Dan Gable, who is a Ohio, uh, Iowa's wrestling coach. If you know anything about wrestling. Uh, Iowa was the, the school to go to. This guy coached 45 national champions and 12 Olympians and he said, "Gold medals aren't really made of gold. They're made of sweat, determination, and a hard-to-find alloy called guts." That's fantastic, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd like to call those really? my, mind vitamins. You got to hear them all the time. And then if yeah, you know you definitely- I tell People, you know, if you keep keep repeating it, pretty soon you own it. You know, that's a great thing for people to do on a road trip. You you get a group of tennis players and say, okay, uh, let's go around. And, you know, how many mind vitamins can we rattle off? Yeah. Um, Yeah, if I had to ask you to read one more, let's go with Dan Gables. Read that one more time and we'll call it a night.
1: Oh, yeah, the Dan Gables. Okay, gold medals aren't really made of gold. They're made of sweat, determination, and a hard-to-find alloy called guts.
0: No guts, no glory. The wrestlers. Um, one of my sisters, part-time or for just a few years, um, she taught high school math, and she just could not believe that what wrestlers would do to cut weight. Oh. You know, they're wearing a rubber suit in her class, and you know they haven't eaten in three days, and you know, yeah. to see those wrestlers go up and down ro- ropes. It's just so sad what's happened. You know, Title IX is not perfect. It was for the longest time, you know, it just wasn't fair for women. But um, yeah, yeah, res- wrestling, uh, men's tennis too, but wrestling's really taken taken hit because of that.
1: I mean, you know, you, you you look at all the sports with the workers, the heart, the heart, and and you'd have to put wrestling right on up there, oh, in yeah. my opinion.
0: Well, I think I you mean your background, your background football. I mean, I think that's one of the, yeah. the last standing cultures. To teach character. I mean, we're, we're so far away from teaching character in tennis, in my opinion, in this country. Yeah. You know, that's where, you know, in some ways. Yeah. Who's, who's on my court? Yeah. Who's on uh, my court? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a dinosaur and maybe I should just, uh, you know, just be totally into tennis education um, with. Um, but, yeah, we can't keep up, keep up the good fight. Uh, we have to you know, try to keep making our sport better. Uh, anything yeah. you want to end up with? I mean, we maybe we didn't spend enough time on forehands and backhands, but uh, it's been a great oh great no, going. it's
1: good. It, it's I tell you, it's a it's a privilege. I mean, after listening to 114 of these and and, and all the, all the 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 people you've interviewed and all that, I'm pretty humbled with being that now being included. So no, no, you're doing a great job. I appreciate and, that. Um,
0: with uh, yeah, we we need to and and, and certainly. Uh, you know this, is that there's strength in numbers, and we have more and more people. We've been a snowflake, and I think now we're a snowball. I don't think we'll ever be an avalanche. Tennis needs an avalanche, as far as, okay, just uh, we need information. We, we we need to carry the torch of the tennis teachers in the past, but I'd say we're becoming a snowman, but uh, with our alumni, our associates, uh, I, I hope now that we're a non-profit here. Um, yeah,
1: congratulations on that. That's yeah, great. thanks.
0: I mean, we, we we just aspire to giving out free content and we, you know, we'll be looking for some people to try to help us with that. And we want to give up, you know, more content. Basically I think what we need to do is keep doing what we're doing, but doing better. I mean, uh, Cole, yeah. uh, Cole Reeves, who's was up at your place. He came and was a contributing coach a couple of those times we had a camp at your place. And, you know, I think he says it quite well as we, the tennis intelligence apply we just need to have a 2.0. Yeah, the brevity, the clarity, and things that we certainly can improve upon. With, um, but anyway, it's been great, yeah. it's been great to talk to you. And I, like I said, that uh, at the onset, yeah, you know, there's always golden nuggets. You know, I think that people have to hang in there, and and I think what you're saying is, yeah, car ride, ten minutes. Yep, here. we're always under construction. Yeah, ten minutes here, ten minutes there. We are looking at <laughs> having a new format where maybe okay, we get several speakers on at one time and we just have one topic and we go one hour. Um, but the nice thing about the, the podcast and I do, do have got this feedback is, you know, people need to go back and listen to Okay. The return to serve, uh, you know, you say for example, go back and okay. The underspin backhand and, you know, okay. We dedicated, you know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, just, just those nuts and bolts of, uh, yeah, you know, there's X's and O's, but there's the nuts and bolts. Is how, how do you build? How do you how do you build an all-court game?
1: Yeah, tennis math. You know how many times I've listened to that one. Tennis math. Yeah, you know it's stuff like that.
0: Yeah, with um, remember Patrick IT is Patrick Money Gulu. I was over there, and he said, "You're all about math. Tennis is art, and it, it is an ah. art. I mean, it's an art and a science. But at the end, yeah, um, I don't think people can say, well." this is your style and it's just amazing that it's like, why is tennis the way it is? Is that, um, it's all, you know, one-on-one man on man where, you know, who, who wins? And, um, you know, it's just not like football when you're talking about, what did you call it? What type of steps that they use to count?
1: False steps, false steps, Um, false steps. Don't take any false steps. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, Here's one thing, you know, someone, they, they, we they roll some film and they come to see us and they have a total palm up serve. Their toss is high by the time. They're at the impact point. I mean, their chest is rubbing the cement and you say, well, what are you working on? And they'll say the pinpoint stance. And it's like, you gotta be kidding me. That's like right. buying the furniture for a house before, you know, you've even finished the foundation. There's no, there's no walls. There's no, there's no roof, and you're you're out buying furniture.
1: Right. But,
0: Brian, thank you very much. This has been great.
1: Thank you, Coach.
0: Yeah, a pleasure. Yeah, all the best you and your family. Okay. Your staff. Okay. Thanks.
1: Good
0: night. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Good night. All right, one twenty, in the books. Thanks for listening. I hope our listeners. I know I did. a Great guy. Doing great service to the game with his family with uh, the indoor facility they have in cincinnati but thank you brian clark thank you listeners adios amigos